It's me, David Webb, and here's a highlight from today's show on Sirius XM Patriot. In Unit 1 of Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history, uh, we dispelled the mere notion that black history started with enslavement and is eliminated when education exists where falsehoods were. When students understand the genius of the ancient African cultures that came to this country and to many other countries. Unit 2, we delved into the the transatlantic slave trade, historical verification from the countries that were involved, not just the narrative. Now for Unit 3, the American system, the forming thereof, and it's important that we understand the facts. As Dr. Carson said earlier, we will put the facts in the middle of the table and let you continue to pursue them. And that is why we do this every two weeks. And we will through all 10 units of the course. Uh, Again, Black History 365, bh365.org. It's a course load for you, for your students, for you homeschoolers, charter schools. There's a Texas edition, and there is so much more to come with this project, but we are going to follow it all the way through with help of the two authors, Dr. Walter Milton and Dr. Joel Freeman. Uh, Joel speaks real good. I just have a fun time with his uh, website on that one. But gentlemen, welcome back. It is so good to be with you again, David. Thank you. All right. Well, thank you. you. All right. So let's see. Last time we had the superintendent. I like to identify you by your titles, but I think we'll just go with Walter and Joel for these purposes. Uh, Walter, I actually want to start with you here. Uh, And it's the American system, the forming thereof, the enslavement and persecution of blacks in the United States. We hear a lot of narrative about oppression, racial, economic disparity. Uh, But from the beginning, what was this really? We've talked about the mercantile part of this or the fact that it was a business. We talked about that quite a bit. But beyond the business, what else? Yes, well, the the it's a great question. And when we decided to write this chapter, we wanted to make sure that we were exemplifying you know, the words of of James Baldwin when he said that American history is longer, larger, more various, and more beautiful and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. And so we had to deal with the good, the bad, and the unbelievable. And I think that um, the goal was to bring extreme clarity to some of the subjugation uh, that had taken place during that period of time when we looked at the development and the, and the crucial activities that took place with the development and establishment establishing of, a, of America. You know, Joel, the it's important to understand this factually for what it is. And in unit three, you also talk about freedom. Matter of fact, in the very first page of unit three, 
is a picture of freedom seekers arriving in Philadelphia. Now, I've gone from the beginning to the end for these purposes. It wasn't just linear, but there was an end result in between is what we're trying to get to people. So why the importance of putting in the elements of the freedom seekers? Well, I think what's important is because uh, when we take a look at people in the South, uh, we try to describe the horrific nature of slavery itself uh, because uh, we, we have uh, the slave trade is one aspect, as we see in the abolition of the slave trade, and then the abolition of slavery itself, that a peculiar institution called enslavement, it's, it's a different aspect. In America, we had uh, the chattel slavery, and, and even the people in the South, they, they really didn't care if the slave trade stopped because then they could breed more slaves. And it was, uh, and just, and there were breeders. That's all they did was breed more slaves. And, and so what happened is that people in that situation, we've all heard of the Stockholm Syndrome, We've heard of, um, you know, all kinds of different things that happen when people try to reflect back on traumatic situations, post-traumatic stress syndrome. We have people that go in the military and they come back and can't sleep. And just imagine uh, day after day after day living under the, uh, the, the rulership of, of people that, that had tactics to keep people at bay because there's only a few people in the house, uh, white people in the house and many people in the fields. And so they could have easily overwhelmed them. So there's always certain tactics and keeping the, the people on, on the field, in the fields against the people that served in the house and vice versa and, uh, and making examples of people. And so to have someone leave that, to seek freedom into an unknown, and they didn't know if there were going to be white people in the north that would accept them, and uh, to be able to figure that out and get to the north was an incredible situation. And so uh, we really wanted to showcase what freedom seekers went through uh, to get north. And we, we all know uh, the famous line uh, from uh, Harriet Tubman. She says, I would have saved more if they'd have known that they were really slaves. And what did that mean? You know, when someone starts unpacking what Harriet Tubman was trying to say, and she had a pistol or a, or a rifle or whatever she carried with her, and if anyone started saying, I want to go back home, she'd, she'd, she'd actually put the, the gun to their head and say, you, you either go with us or I'm going to have to shoot you. You know, that was the way she ran it. She was known as the general and as Moses, as a biblical, biblical character, providing freedom. And that, to us, I think, as we try to imagine what that's like, it's very hard to wrap our heads around. And that's why we wanted to uh, do the best we could of explaining what the freedom seekers are all about and what they're seeking to achieve. You know, Walter, when Joel gives that example of Harriet Tubman, you know, putting the pistol to the head of someone, you know, that imagery comes to mind. I mean, here was a, a battle for something for many, for something called freedom. And we rarely hear it discussed that some didn't even know what freedom was. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it was psychological uh, at best. And when we talk about this whole notion of PTSS, um, it was real and it had really uh, resonated 
um, in the forms of, uh, like Joe said, um, regarding the Stockholm Syndrome. And psychological speaking, this is the only life that I know, and I'm not sure if I could accept a life that's better than this because um, this is, uh, I have really mastered the whole thinking of delayed gratification that I will receive uh, by heaven in the by and by, and, and I'm just waiting until I go to that internal place. And this is my plight. I'm destined to be here in servitude um, as a slave, uh, and, and that's it. That's my fate. And we have many cases um, that we wanted to identify um, similar. There was one that really resonates with me around Margaret Garner, um, you know, being a parent and having sons and then having my life changed once I had a daughter. <laughs> um, and, 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 and looking at Margaret's um, bravery and believing that she had to kill her own, own daughter before she went into uh, becoming a, um, a fancy maid or forms of prostitution. And so that was, that was awe-inspiring and, and, and very tough to research and, and to write and to go through that process and to, um, to deal with some of those realities that many of these enslaved um, people had, had, had to encounter. You know, Joel, we go from uh, 1715, as uh, you both have written here in Unit 3, where there were 58,850 slaves, to 1850, 3,204,313. They weren't all in the fields, though. And in Unit 3, it opened my eyes to the various professions uh, that slaves were... Yes, you would say forced into or in some way engaged in. Uh, and it wasn't just in the fields, uh, prostitution, uh, other things that happened. So, you know, who were these slaves? What else did they do as part of that culture, that society, or were they forced to, or were forced to do? Well, I think that um, when one looks at it through the lens of the plantation life, uh, uh, we can see, uh, for instance, um, in the Carolinas, uh, there was what's known as the Dismal Swamp. And anyone who lives in the Carolinas uh, and has a home, that was actually, that whole area, uh, what was formerly known as the Dismal Swamp, was, uh, was tamed by slaves. Uh, we know that um, there was a swampland area that uh, Harriet Tubman uh, worked on in, in uh, Dorchester County. And she had two oxen, you know, that she helped to, to haul wood and, and different things at one point. And so it's, it's, a, um, it's a situation where anything that the, uh, that the uh, plantation owners didn't want to do, it just made that available for them. Uh, people were able to, do, to enter, white people were able to enter into intellectual pursuits and travel and uh, all these other things because and, and in, uh, having guests over to their homes and, uh, you know, all these political aspirations and business and everything else because they could use uh, uh, people who were enslaved by them 
uh, kept at a minimum in terms of food and clothing. They might get one set of clothes per year and even held back if they weren't performing. Uh, All of these different standards that were placed on them, the amount of cotton that was picked and um, uh, per day, and even in in the book, uh, Uncle Tom's Cabin, you know, we see how Uncle Tom uh, helped to uh, put a little bit of his cotton into somebody else who had, had, had some problems. And so in that story that um, Harriet Beecher Stowe told. And so we have all kinds of different things that, um, that they were involved in that, that just made it easy for, for people of uh, Caucasian descent. Stories of real life people. You mentioned Uncle Tom, Josiah Henson, yeah. the real Uncle Tom, uh, on who that was based. Uh, you know, there the elephant experience. And again, we we go through these units. We want people to open the book. You know, go in, get it, share it, use it for your education and family. But the elephant experience, along with the integrated technology, is a big part of this. So, guys, I'll throw it to you each. I I go through them. I have fun with them in the sense of learning fun. Uh, but the elephant experience for each of you, one elephant experience, and why you pick that one out of Unit Three. Well, I think. Um... Joel just gave me a really good segue um, into the elephant experience that I want to share this morning. But before um, I I talk about that, Dave, if I can just have a moment to just clear up one of the major misconceptions. Many people believe that the slaves, those who were enslaved, excuse me, had come over and they were very docile, kind of um, uh, mute, people that were not cognitively inclined. And that is the furthest thing from the truth. These people were very smart um, uh, in terms of science, engineering, and things of that magnitude. The challenge was that they were not able to speak the language. And so that created major, major barriers um, to it. And and so then they were uh, subjugated to um, a life of servitude, but within that, they had many talents that were used and espoused on uh, various plantations uh, across the uh, across the nation. But I chose uh, for my elephant experience Uncle Tom, because being an African American male, um, it's always you know when you are um, <clears throat> showing um, academic prowess or when you have a certain way of articulating yourself or believing that um, that we have a right to be excellent in this country, sometimes you're referred to as an Uncle Tom or someone who is acting um, as if, um, you know, uh, if you're trying to, to act white or so. And so that's something that has wreaked havoc in our community. Um, however, Um, When we look at who Uncle Tom really, really was, he was um, the opposite of the characterization that many people have um, polarized him with. He was a person who really cared for um, the other slaves. He did not turn slaves in. He did not uh, so-called snitch on slaves, but he would uh, take the lashes for other slaves, and, and instead of having them beaten, he would share his cotton so that they can meet the quota for the day. And he was a relentless advocate for 
um, for many of his, his, his brothers and sisters on the plantation. Um, at the same time, the character um, that many people are speaking of is Sambo. And Sambo was the person who did not mind telling the, um, the slave owners that there was a revolution coming or a slave revolt or something like that. And whatever um, he could do to win favor in the eye of the slave master, he was willing to do that. And I think uh, through the elephant experience, it has the propensity to bring a deep sense of clarity in terms of uh, the Uncle Tom uh, character and who he truly was. The facts are on the table, Joel. I like that. We've just clarified something for people I hope they will take to heart. Yes, yes I, I think that um, uh, most people who talk about Uncle Tom in a negative, pejorative manner have never read the book. And so, in fact, I think just about everybody <laughs> who says that uses that term. Uh, I just My response to them is, have you ever read the book? And my, my elephant experience, uh, David, is um, the three-fifths of a human being. I think this, this particular topic has been so misunderstood, and uh, I cannot climb into the minds and the hearts of the people who originated this idea to determine what motivated it, but I just can look at the effect that they were trying to uh, create. And uh, as I look at it very carefully, it's not about the humanness of the person. It's about two main issues that, we, that uh, the union was struggling with at the time. And so the first one has to do with taxation. And so in the North, um, you know, they were saying, okay, <clears throat> you're taxed upon, uh, based upon your, the number of people in a household. And so, um, uh, you know, you have uh, a situation where you have uh, a person that is, they, this, the South wanted to uh, oppose counting enslavement for the purpose of determining taxation. And the North favored counting and enslaved people for the purpose of determining taxation. And so what happened is that, uh, you know, the South says, you know, someone could have 100 slaves and now they're getting taxed more. And they said, no, 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 that's, that's, they're not even human. You know, they're not even in, in the Southern slaveholders were wanting to discount that. So in the North, they came up with a, a, a plan. And once again, I can't climb in their hearts and minds, but they said, okay. Uh, in order for us to do this fairly, uh, let's count them as three-fifths of a, of, of, uh, the, a human. Uh, once again, not having to do with their value or their worth, but in terms of, their, uh, in terms of taxation purposes, so that tax dollars could be used for uh, you know, building roads or whatever it might be that would need to be done in, in the union. Then uh, what happened <clears throat> later on, is that then we have representation in government. And representation, uh, about 30,000 people uh, to get one member of Congress in the slave states. And so slaves and uh, slave people outnumbered whites. And it was the hope of the Democratic Party at the time that there would be enough pro-slavery congressmen that they could overturn much of the abolitionist legislation in the northern uh, part of the country if the Republicans had previously passed. And so what happened is that there, there was one particular problem because blacks in the southern states had no rights. 
thus the, the, the North thought it was a joke that their value be counted only when it was beneficial to the Democrats. So once again, they went back to the three-fifths of a human being uh, concept, and they said, well, we will then uh, uh, count only three-fifths of the slave population so that the because if the mem- if the representation in Congress was reflecting one to one, then the style- southern members of Congress would have overturned all the laws that were beneficial to black people and, and the abolitionist cause. Well, if there was ever an example of perspective or political perspective mattering, this is one of them, Walter. And, and it, it is to talk to Joel's point often misrepresented, misused, or too easily used, whether on social media or in a classroom. But uh, this is why this book is valuable. This is why we're doing this, guys. Uh, we need to have the facts out there. And, you know, we need to also, as as you subtitled the book, An Inclusive Account of American History, uh, this is not limited to one period, one area, one time, but it's for the entire country. And, and Walter... We'll do our part here. We'll open eyes and see where people go with it. Thank you. Thank you so much. American history is longer, larger, more various, more beautiful, and more terrible than anything anyone has ever said about it. James Baldwin. I think we'll leave it there until our next edition or our next unit, I guess, the proper way to say it, which will be on emancipation and reconstruction. Uh, Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history by Dr. Walter Milton Jr. and uh, Dr. Joel Freeman, Ph.D. Guys, thank you as always. And uh, you keep educating me every day. I appreciate it. And I hope the audience does, too. And, and David, thank can you I so much. Real quickly? <laughs> sure, Joel. Can I say one more thing. Uh, I was just thinking that when we're talking about three fifths of a human being and, and these types of things, you know, we have 41 songs that form kind of an anthology of black history. And we have one song about the Civil War, about uh, about uh, chapter six uh, in the unit that we've, we've been discussing today. And it's quite interesting, the lyrics say, you know, uh, Lincoln freed the slaves, and then a low voice says, it's complicated. Three-fifths of a human being, it's complicated. Uh, Black people fought in the Civil War, it's complicated. You know, and and it's just um, everything we talk about here, you know, that that uh, byline, if you will, it's complicated, uh, kind of overshadows everything uh, because there's so many ups and downs and all around. And we really appreciate you allowing us to uh, to be here, and we hope that everyone gets downloads the music on iTunes or some other way. 41 Songs provides an overview of history through the lens of, of hip-hop music. It's, it's incredible. It, and it's really, it's really a lesson all in itself. It really is, and it's a, it's a great anthology. And, and, David, I just want to say thank you so much because this is one of those bright spots in my week, and I want to contribute that to you and your show. Well, thank you both. Looking forward to our next round. Again, Unit 4 next, Emancipation and Reconstruction. Black History 365, an inclusive account of American history. The website, bh365.org. You can get the books for your family, your children. If you're a homeschooler, this is a good idea. If your kid goes to school, doesn't matter what school, this is a good idea. I'll be right back. 
You can join me live on The David Webb Show Monday to Friday, 9 to noon east on Sirius XM Patriot 125.